2: Welcome to KUCI. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and streaming online at KUCI.org. This is Countdown UCI, and I am your host, Dimitri Konitsky. I've got a phenomenal show. This is my first show of the third season. Uh, I was on in the summer, then in the fall, and now I have an hour-long show. And I've got two phenomenal guests coming in today. Uh, Right now, I am in the studio with Vice Chancellor of Student Affairs, Dr. Thomas A. Parham, uh, Dr. Parham, uh, say hi to the listeners. Hello, listeners. Nice to see everybody. <laughs> so uh, today, as uh, promised in some of the ads, I have uh, I'm giving away two Disneyland tickets, courtesy of uh, UCI Items. So thank you. Shout out to Jasper, by the way, in in UCI Items, an enterprise of. ASUCI here on campus um, for letting me give those away on, on the show and I will announce uh, the winner at the end uh, in the second half of the show I'm going to have uh, a UCI musical group their name is The Reckoners and uh, one of their the the lead guitar on that is Felipe Hernandez who was uh, a guest on the show last quarter and he was phenomenal and uh, uh, now his, his, uh, his band is going to be coming in so uh, right now, for the first uh, first half hour, uh, Dr. Parham and I are going to have uh, a, a chat about uh, student affairs and uh, the budget and uh, some of the things that, that he's doing with, uh, with the department. Um, I have uh, received quite a few questions f- via the Facebook, and um, I'm going to address some of those. So, Dr. Parham... Uh, Let's start with some introductions. You are, you're not new to UCI, but you're new to your position. I think you were appointed officially in the summer, if I'm not mistaken?
3: Uh, September September. this year to the permanent role. uh, Interim, uh, just about a year ago, September Mm -hmm. as well.
2: I see. And uh, how long have you worked at UCI total? I've been
3: back at UC Irvine. This is now my 27th year. Oh, my. So uh, uh, I come with uh, the long uh, history and legacy of the institution.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, can you uh tell a little bit about yourself how uh I know your background is in uh clinical psychology mm-hmm. and um doesn't seem exactly like uh vice chancellor material but of course uh Although I'm not sure what a, what, a, what a person who went to school to be a vice chancellor would, would have majored in. Is there a vice chancelloring major?
3: <laughs> there is not a vice chancelloring major, but uh, let me share with you. Um, uh, first of all, by way of background, uh, born in New York, uh, relocated to Los Angeles mm-hmm. uh, when I was about three years old. So I grew up in uh, L.A. So my bones are California nurtured, if you will. I was nurtured in the sights and sounds of Southern California. Uh, L.A. was a marvelous experience growing up, partly because of its multicultural makeup, so mm-hmm. that in my developmental years, uh, through grade school, uh, middle school, high school, uh, have lived in different parts of the city. Uh, certainly in South Central L.A., predominantly black, in East L.A. in the barrio uh, with Latino brothers and sisters. In, um, West L.A., the Jewish Fairfax area, uh, around Wilshire Boulevard, Fairfax, there, predominantly Um, and highly concentrated of of Jewish brothers and sisters. So one of the fascinating things about growing up in L.A. is it's a very multicultural environment where there are white, Latino, Asian, Indian, um, international folk, uh, certainly African-American folk. I mean, it's a very multicultural space. And so some of my background and my interest and passion really for multicultural issues was really nurtured and born out of that particular experience. mm Uh, began college, uh, Cal State Long Beach, being a criminology major, mm-hmm. uh, with thoughts of either being a police officer or an attorney. Always had a passion for wanting to make a difference in the world. Mm-hmm. And I figured there were two ways to make a difference, either as this kind of revolutionary from outside or from within the system I chose from within. But learned very quickly in my first couple of years of college that um, uh, I was frustrated with the criminal justice system because it didn't quite sit well with my passion. My passion was always to make a difference in people's lives, and I thought working in the criminal justice system required more ability to manipulate the system than it did really to help people mm-hmm. in my you know, uh, uh, early perceptions. Mm-hmm. But fortunately, while I was uh, in that, I had a chance to do what students now call service learning, uh, interned in a uh, halfway house for a and runaway kids one semester, second semester in uh, the community psychology clinic in downtown Long Beach at the time and out of that was born my passion for helping. Um, Received some very good feedback from parents who said, wow, you know, my son or daughter is really doing well since they've been working with you. And then I had supervisors who said, you know, you have a knack for this. Mm -hmm. And so in the context of career development, part of what I learned is that uh, figuring out what you want to do in life is not just a function of what you're interested in, but also what are you good at. And -hmm. I found that I was good in working with people. Mm -hmm. So I transferred from Long Beach, uh, transferred to UCI and uh, graduated from here in the middle 70s and uh, met my first mentor here, who was Joe White, who, mm-hmm. uh, beyond being a professor of psychology, psychiatry, and comparative cultures at the time, was also the father of the black psychology movement nationally. So Joe was the first mentor of mine, certainly is the this,
2: first. Is this the uh, Dr. White after which the cross-cultural room is named?
3: That is, <laughs> that is the Dr. White. He is, mm-hmm. That is the man himself. Uh, so a lot of us affectionately call him the godfather, but he was kind of the consummate mentor to, you know, black, white, blonde, blue, purple kids. Didn't matter who you were, but he was always engaged in helping students grow in ways that were important to them. So became a social psychology major, focused on what students now call uh, um, psych and human behavior, and then left to go to graduate school. So did a master's degree in counseling psych, PhD in counseling psych. hmm Uh, Counseling and clinical overlap, probably 80% maybe. Came back to Irvine to do my clinical internship. So psychologists do internships like physicians do residency. Mm -hmm. So came back here to do my training back in California and then pursued career advancement in three domains, both as an academician, as a researcher, and as a clinician. So I was applying for jobs in all three of those areas. Uh, took uh, a faculty appointment, accepted one at the University of Pennsylvania in Philadelphia. So felt very good about that. Uh, Exciting time to be there. Uh, Penn had a history of mm, 200 some odd years founded by Ben Franklin back in 17 something. uh, Ivy League. And I found out when I got there actually that I became the first African American academic psychologist the University of Pennsylvania had ever hired in its history. Um, So loved the position. Uh, was recruited to come back to Irvine in uh, 1985. And so that began an interesting transition for me because I went from being a core faculty member and a researcher to being uh, an administrator. Mm-hmm. So I came back and uh, took over the Career Center. Uh, in 1990, five years later, was asked to take over the Career Center and the Counseling Center. And then in 96 became uh, assistant vice chancellor. Uh, so from 96 up until the time in which I was appointed interim vice chancellor, I served as assistant vice chancellor for the counseling health service cluster.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: All those years I've still taught on the faculty as well uh, mm-hmm. as an adjunct faculty member and lecturer. Uh, used to teach two courses, one in counseling theories, the other in African-American psychology. Now I simply teach the one. So my career really has been uh, fairly versatile in that Uh, I do clinical work, I do academic instruction, I do consultation, I do um, uh, research, but also I do administration. Mm -hmm. And so what changes is the proportion of time I spend in each of those categories. What doesn't change are the diverse interests that I have and the ways in which I try to contribute to Mm -hmm. the development of people's lives. So now that I'm in the vice chancellor role, I'm primarily a senior administrator for the campus, Mm -hmm. and love the role, as I was as an assistant vice chancellor, but also teach part-time. I still conduct a program of research and scholarship, so I write like I'm a full-time faculty member still. Um, And there's a particular reason for that, which I'll share if you're interested. Um, Still do clinical work, in that I've seen students here for years. Now I see them a little less on campus now, given my administrative duties, but also hold a clinical practice, a private practice in the city of Irvine. So I'm a licensed psychologist by the state of California. And then provide consultation, advice, whatever, training, to different entities around the country and sometimes even the world. So I've been blessed to do lots of things in my life, but all with the passion about, one, making a difference for people, but also trying to be a healing presence in people's lives.
2: Mm -hmm. It sounds like uh, you... Perhaps uh, more than anybody else have succeeded, possibly more than anybody else I've had on the show prior. This is uh, extraordinary, the uh, the kind of – that that you've been able to excel at at, at so many things, not just do so many things, but uh, do well in so many things.
3: Well, but part of it is, you know, well is always uh, defined, you know, um, um, in interesting ways. But for me, I think it's less important about do you ever achieve a Ph.D.? Do you ever – win awards, do you ever write the books, do you ever do whatever. It's really about functionally is what you're doing significant, worthwhile, and making a difference in Mm -hmm. people's lives. That's really the yardstick by which I use. Mm -hmm. You know, if I get a PhD or acquire some kind of accolade, be it academic or research award or something, but the work I do is only good for ego gratification, but doesn't make a difference in the lives of other people, then I haven't done my Mm -hmm. job. You know, my My destiny, if you will, is to be a healing presence in the lives of other people. Mm -hmm. And so that's what drives me. So as you talk about the transferable assets or skills that go from being a psychologist and a people person to being a vice chancellor. In fact, in some respects, a vice chancellor is about the overall management of a division that is relatively large within this university. But basically, student affairs is about trying to um, uh, support the academic mission to uplift the lives of students, to help students grow in ways that are important to them, and to try to help provide and create and manage the essential services that help students um, to take care of what their basic needs are so that they can not focus on those things but really devote their time and energy to taking maximum advantage of the resources that are in this magnificent institution.
2: Mm -hmm. You've uh, worked uh, uh, under Chancellor Gomez for it seems uh, approximately ten years or so.
3: Vice Chancellor Gomez, uh-huh.
2: yes. And um, what uh, now? Now that now that he's retired, and, and after after that happened, you took over his role as uh, as interim vice chancellor. That's correct. Um, do you feel that, that there's uh, there's anything that you you're doing that is uh, diametrically opposed to the way that that he handled uh, the department?
3: No. Um, It's an interesting question. Um, When I was appointed assistant vice chancellor, I was actually appointed by Manuel Gomez. Mm -hmm. So I became uh, one of the first two appointments that he made as assistant vice chancellor in his tenure Mm -hmm. there. His tenure lasted just a little over 14 years, actually, that I served with him in that role. And so student affairs became really a team where I was charged with managing the counseling and health service domain of that, you know, division. But all of us as assistant vice chancellors worked in concert and as a team with each other to try to help contribute to the management of the whole division, even as you provide input and consultation around a whole range of things that impact student lives. So whether I could contribute to some of the enrollment functions and helping to do some outreach, whether I could contribute to being able to work with students, whether I could help out, you know, in some of the business enterprises or the development operations and raising funds or doing whatever I could do for the campus, our roles really cross. You know, those multiple areas, even though there's significant responsibility in that. Your question was, does am I anything that I do diametrically opposed to Manuel? No, uh, Manuel was a was a, a magnificent uh, administrator and a tremendous resource for the campus, who the campus I think is very indebted to and, and grateful for his uh, contribution. Um. And so student affairs that we have inherited is a relatively well-oiled machine that does very well. Mm-hmm. Um, he inherited, I think, a very good uh, student affairs division from his predecessor, Dr. Horace Mitchell, who I knew, who actually recruited me to come back from University of Pennsylvania to Irvine. So before Horace Mitchell was uh, Dr. John Whiteley, a faculty member of ours now who has uh, gone back to faculty rank. So... Uh, In our tenure of student affairs, the campus has always enjoyed, I think, uh, a a very um, good group of senior administrators who've always had the best interests of students in mind, Mm -hmm. have always had some tough choices to make, but have always made those choices in a way that tried to contribute to the personal and intellectual growth and development of young people. Mm -hmm. And so I am the latest in that String of folk mm-hmm. who will take over the mantle and try to do some of those things. Are there some things I'll do differently? Maybe so, um, but for the most part, there's nothing that I do that's diametrically opposed to what my uh, um, predecessor did.
2: Um, you're the first in that in that string who, um, to my understanding, the first who took that office in a time not of um, of of contraction and a time where. In five years, student affairs will not be larger than it was before, will not have necessarily greater funding, but uh, may have uh, decreasing funding. Cool. How do you see that as uh, I mean the, the the cards you've been you've been dealt in in, in the office that, that you've uh, you've you've taken is uh, really considerably different than 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 any of the others and uh, uh, how do you see now your your role and your reason for being vice chancellor um, in, in protecting the academic mission of the university, how do you see that as being uh, different now than it would have been had you, had you been able to take office 10 years ago where uh, funding was increasing yearly? Well, uh,
3: Another interesting question. Um, I would say two things about that. In my 27 years of higher education leadership, one of the things I've learned about budget and fiscal issues is that there's always an ebb and flow. No matter what year that I have managed, I've learned that you will never have enough resources to do everything you want to do. So when I approach my job, I don't approach it with how come I can't have everything I want. I approach it with you always have enough resource to do the things you think are most important. Mm -hmm. And so part of my charge is to try to figure out what are those things that not only I, but students believe are most important in contributing to their personal growth and development and try to make sure that we have the resources in place that allow us to be able to support those. So first thing I would say is that. Second thing philosophically for me is rarely do I come to work, almost never, approaching life with a half-empty glass. So even though we have fiscal challenges, even though we have... You know, budgets that are less, even though we have, you know, reduction targets that are much larger than what we've had in in the last several years. And I appreciate you acknowledging that. What's also true is that on the half full side of that glass, we have a tremendous student body. If you look, for example, at just all the things that we have done, uh, in the times of the uh, budget craziness and the, the retrenchment, really, of state support for the University of California and this campus in particular, Uh, We've been able to uh, recruit enough interest so that for this year, last year we set a record with 64,000. This year we are close to 70,000 applicants. Yes, it's about a 10% increase I've heard. Who want to pursue an education and consider UC Irvine as a top choice. That's pretty doggone phenomenal in the midst of the budget and in the midst of fees going up. Uh, we have a tremendous array of talented students who have come here looking to say, how can I explore you know, the different avenues and majors that we have? Um, we have a very, very strong faculty who in most of our disciplines around the campus are award-winning. Uh, these are world-renowned people who are defining and framing the discourse in a host of academic disciplines that our students have an uh, opportunity to come and study with. Mm-hmm. You know, if you look at the kind of things we're doing, even in the context of um, budget reductions, we have development operations that have helped us to then go out and raise dollars for campus uh, uh, priorities, including student scholarships. But that our donations this year are actually uh, keeping pace with where they have been even pre those years mm-hmm. when things were more robust in terms of the economy. So when I think about the quality of students, when I think about the quality of faculty, when I think about the quality of senior administration, when I think about new hospitals we've opened, when I think about the first-class dorms we have that I think are second to none in the country, when I think about the quality of the student body we have, when I think about all those things, there's so much in a half-full glass to be grateful for. I don't focus so much on the half-empty. What I focus on is how can we bring to bear a a critical analysis of what are those things that – are most important to students and that we think best contribute to their growth and development as well as health and safety, as well as making sure we can enroll them and give them access. And then making sure we bring those resources to bear to make sure that those things are in place and supported in the ways in which they can do their job.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: On uh, this past Wednesday, ASUCI and uh, AGS, the undergraduate student bodies and then the graduate student body, and as, as well as, I believe, the uh, your office wow. uh, yeah. held a budget forum yes. where students were able to come and uh, actually give input for, for things that they do find most important. And uh, you've stated just a few minutes ago that that you really see that um, there should be enough money to do the things that, that you find most important. Um, what did you take away from that budget forum? And um, which things... Uh, which missions that Student Affairs uh, accomplishes are, do, you, do you see as most important?
3: Well, let me talk in, um, specific and then kind of back up to the, to the general question. Uh, specifically, it's too early yet because we haven't received all the feedback from our mm-hmm. AS and AGS executives that the students provided mm-hmm. to give us their particular priorities about what they see as most important. So we expect that in a day to a week, and that will be fine with us the process that we are engaged in in student affairs as well as in other, uh... entities around the campus in evaluating the budget is a almost year-long process that starts you know way last year into this year mm-hmm. and will go on through uh... the spring and into the summer
1: mm-hmm.
3: before we are able to make hardcore choices and pull the trigger actually on what the actual budget decisions are going to be mm-hmm. once we get our reduction targets once we find out what kind of support we're going to get from the state and the governor, once we find out how that state support then translates down into uh, targets for uh, student affairs units in particular, and then how we then go you know, to manage that. So there's a lot of discussion that has to take place before then mm-hmm. and ebb and flow before we actually are able to arrive at a, at a final determination. What is most important, I think, in that in the process dynamics, beside the outcome, which is undetermined, is that, I sit in uh, consultation with a whole range of managers and directors of student affairs units who spend their lives really committed to helping students, um, you know, manage the dynamics of their own lives as well as navigate their way through the university. But what's also true is that as we provide uh, input and consultation on how we manage this budget dilemma... I think it's always difficult to design intervention in absence of consultation with the people that the intervention was designed to serve. So for me, if we're trying to support those things that best benefit students, the people who are best positioned to describe that for us are in fact the students themselves. So what I promised when I came into the role was a greater level of transparency than Mm -hmm. I think we've enjoyed in the role in the past. Mm -hmm. So that not only extends to my managers, but also extends to the student community. So as I uh, had initial discussions with uh, AS and AGS uh, execs and proposed the idea of us putting together this budget form and ask for their support in doing that, part of it was to simply do what you saw the other day, which was to educate them about what the budget process is, both from the state... Mm -hmm you see as a whole which is why vice chancellor michael's presence was was absolutely essential and critical talk about how that impacts then student affairs but then basically turn it over to the students and say give us your best advice and your best opinions about what you think you know best supports you being able to do what you do around the campus and so it's that information that we're looking forward to receiving and that'll be one component of the information that we take into account as we go in to try to manage, you know, making decisions about the budget. Mm-hmm. But there's so much information we don't know now that there are no decisions that have been made about what uh, uh, center of service is going to be supported or which one is not. Or are there things that are targeted for elimination? None of that determination has been made yet. Lastly on that, I'll say that there are some priorities that we try to adhere to. So as you saw on the slides the other day, I try to first think about what do we do that supports the academic mission of the institution. So this institution is um, guided by access. So how do we help students get access? So all the enrollment services that you see that allow us to Mm -hmm. even recruit, um, help them make application, admit, and then ultimately yield Mm -hmm. the next crop of anteaters, You know who step into our family in the fall both from freshman and transfer levels is part of that discussion. We've got to be able to protect access so we need to make sure we have resources there. Mm -hmm. You heard students the other day talk about financial aid and how critically important that was. That was on almost the top of everybody's list at almost everybody's table. So we'll try to make sure that we have resources for that. Health and safety is a priority. So we have to make sure that we have critical resources uh, uh, deployed to make sure that we are managing our health and safety resources so that you know, we don't have any uh, uh, weaknesses or holes in, in, in that particular piece. Mm-hmm. And then as we then think about extending ourselves to the, the services, it's important to really figure out what services are, are most important. You heard students talk about career centers, for example, the mm-hmm. other day, I think. Right. You heard them talk about health education and the whole health promotion, disease prevention aspects of what they do and how critically important those services are. So all those things are really important. What I also wanted to do, however, is... Um, really reaffirmed my belief that every moment is a teaching moment. So the budget forum was designed not simply to solicit input from students, which was the primary purpose, but was also to provide a teaching moment for students who were there to say, let me help you understand what the budget is. Mm -hmm. Let me help you understand what the differential resources are and what Mm -hmm. the sources of that support are. Mm -hmm. And that as you think about a unit that you think is either more or less important in your life, it may be less important in the terms of one discussion because the core funding that we talked about which is that relatively small slice of a student affairs budget um... is is anchored to particular units there Mm -hmm. but there may be other units that are total auxiliary enterprises that get no student rent fees at all no tuition dollars go to support it right they're totally self-supporting enterprises So cutting that gives you nothing because it doesn't get any money in the first place. So it's trying to help students really understand that to let them understand what the degrees of freedom are and how they become better consumers of information Mm -hmm. so that they can make informed judgments about how they provide us recommendations to help uh, benefit their lives.
2: And um, I'm one of the first students to get upset at at, at student remarks like uh, why is – Dining, you know, offering this new menu option. Why is housing putting in new park benches when these are not things that are getting any of their uh, tuition dollars? And um, it's completely unproductive to point fingers at that.
3: Well, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't agree that it's unproductive. What, it, what, you know, that's part of the, the the challenge of having teachable moments. In that, what students see in a lot of the press, if you looked at you know recent papers and articles that took place. And you list people's salaries in the paper, and you talk about mm-hmm. that, mm-hmm. and you talk about tuition increases. Mm-hmm. What you'll see, for example, is, is the media painting a portrait that somehow student increases that they're paying are going to pay these high salaries of these folks. Mm-hmm. You know, when what the paper won't tell you is that the person who they listed on the top of that is a person who's in an auxiliary enterprise, not one dime of tuition goes in to pay that salary, that that one person gets paid much less, significantly less, than their counterparts do who do exactly the same job in other hospitals, and that that hospital enterprise contributes in tens of millions of dollars a year to help support the academic enterprise of the campus. Right. You know, it's that that kind of stuff that they don't show. Right. They don't show, for example, that all the administrators that they talk about have received, you know, no increases and had salaries flat during the time that the, the, you know, tuition increases were occurring. Mm -hmm. They don't show that some of those same administrators took salary reductions and money out of their own pockets mm-hmm. in order to reduce. Raising student fees is the last thing I think the campuses do. But when students, all they hear is in the media mm-hmm. trying to create these sensational headlines and, and misinformation, I think it's, it's no wonder why students, I think, raise questions like that, which in some cases the questions are all legitimate. Mm-hmm. I think they're less informed about what that is, and so part of what the budget forum was designed to do mm-hmm. was to help them get a better grasp of what the budget is mm-hmm. and how they can be more informed so that they can make better choices and recommendations to us that we need.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, you've said that um, in, your, in your time when you started at uh, Long Beach State uh, and before you came to UCI, uh, service learning, what they call now mm-hmm. is um, – is uh, something that that helped you find your path and, yes. and what you wanted to do and um yet we saw the CSA center for service in action getting uh getting cut and uh um and uh yeah i uh, what, what else can i say about that it, it 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 got cut and um so clearly there's something that uh Student Affairs has to prioritize and, and has to say that, that this is less important than than our then it doesn't contribute as much to our core mission as, as do some other programs and I still would love to know if uh, there are um, other programs out there that um, we should brace ourselves to see not recurring next year or the year after. Is there anything that you can point to that we should brace ourselves to say, you know, to take advantage of now before before they're gone?
4: No.
3: And I don't want to create that kind of panic in the streets mm-hmm. about uh oh go use it because it's gone <laughs> in the day. Uh so let me address your first point about Center for Service and Action and then move on to the you know to the broader question I think you're asking here. Um in the Center for Service and Action um we go back and contextualize a budget process that I had used in the prior year, and that we had been, uh, when I was assistant vice chancellor in all the years prior to that, we would be given either augmentation targets, meaning your budget's about to get increased by 3 to 5 percent, mm-hmm. or reduction targets, meaning your budget's about to get cut by 3 to 5 to 10 to 13, whatever the you know number is, so that... Every year that I've been here in 27, there's always been either an ebb or flow of one of those things. So this is not the first budget cut time that we have been in. It is certainly the most severe, but certainly not the first. But when we have been given targets, let's say mythically 10% target, and all of the four domains of student affairs get a 10% target, implicitly what that says is that they hold equal weight in the lives of students. Okay, when a budget is more robust, you might be able to get away with that assumption. Mm -hmm. My thinking is that we have so cut down to the bone in terms of student affairs and and what it does, as well as other areas of the campus, that we can no longer afford to make that assumption. So one of the things that I did in engaging my staff in the budget process is invite them to put everything up on the table and to then begin, uh, begin to engage in really a more deliberate discussion, about what are those things that we think contribute most to uh, uh, you know, the supporting the academic mission, health and safety, you know, all those things that we talked about earlier. And out of that discussion came, okay, given this limited amount of money, here's where we have to put it. Now, when it came to Center for Service and Action, it wasn't that we necessarily wanted to cut it, but we were given targets in core reg fee funds mm-hmm. of what was $2.5 million worth of money. Some of that, what I did, and I shared with you, is I put a freeze on so that any positions that were vacated, either retirements, people left something, I froze. Mm -hmm. Because I wanted to make a decision that said I'd much rather take out an empty body, even though a unit needs that to replace it, Mm -hmm. than I would rather lay somebody off within the context of this. So in that 2.5 target... I was able to eliminate probably close to a million dollars worth of reductions by just taking those frozen positions and eliminating them. Mm -hmm. It left us then with a $1.5 million budget cut to then say, okay, how do we now manage this? Mm -hmm. But you recall from the diagrams that you saw that there are only certain units that get those core funds. Mm -hmm. So it's not like you could say, well, how come you didn't cut housing when housing doesn't get core funds? How come you didn't cut the students and it doesn't get core funds? How come you didn't cut... You know, know, unit X, Y, or Z, is because they don't get core funds. There are very few units who get those. Mm -hmm. And if you manage those other priorities about health and safety, access, et cetera, it's only a few places that can get it. What we did recognize, however, even though we had to make that difficult decision for the Center for Service and Action, is that the function that they do and the service learning the students engage in is too important to their growth and development ultimate careers. So what we were able to do was to consolidate the functions of the Center for Service and Action within the core of the dean of students' operations so that mm-hmm. that function still exists. And students who use that service are able to take advantage of everything they were taking advantage of last year, two years ago, and three years ago. But the center itself doesn't exist because we had to shift some budget lines around to be able to eliminate it. I see. So that's part of the, the, the consolidation that we were able to do while still preserving it. Another example we did, real quickly, is... Even though we engage in health promotion, disease prevention, some of the feedback we got the other night said, I consolidate think the, the health education, education and student into health. student health because we think they, you know, kind of have a parallel process. Mm-hmm. Now they're a little different, and that student health does the basic medical care, dental care, pharmacy, X-ray, you know, lab, all those kind of things, and 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 direct patient care that they do. Health education does more health promotion, disease prevention around a whole range mm-hmm. of things, including. Smoking, tobacco, drug, alcohol, HIV, all those kind of things that are there, diet, nutrition, et cetera. But because that was a budget that got severely cut, we cut that budget almost to the bone to zero, mm-hmm. but consolidated it into the student health budget mm-hmm. and put a, uh, a request onto student health and their managers to be able to generate more income out of student health through that auxiliary enterprise, not reg fee, Mm
1: -hmm.
3: that would then help support the operations of health ed. Mm -hmm. So if you look at the students who come into health ed, most of the services haven't been impacted. Most of the staff are still here. Mm -hmm. All the services and functions that we engage in are still here. Mm -hmm. So you would never know. Hopefully it's kind of seamless about what you've been able to see. They have a little bit less supply and expenses, which is true, which is why somebody commented the other day that, One of the things we can find critically that we think is unacceptable is that we're not giving out free condoms any longer. Right. Somebody actually even look into that. Mm -hmm. But that's a small piece compared to the operation still existing, even though we've consolidated it into student health to try to make sure we could preserve the important function that they do, knowing that we had to cut the core funding because they were part of the $1.5 million reduction.
2: Here's something I I don't understand, though, and uh, it's these auxiliary enterprises, um, housing, dining, bookstore student center. They are in child care. In child care. They are in, in in theory they are self-supporting and they don't take uh, reg fees for the most part. Maybe there's some exceptions somewhere there. Um, but they're they're not only self-supporting they kick back some money back to the campus. Yes. So um, I think dining kicks back over a million dollars uh, a year back to the campus. They're able to support themselves and make a profit which goes back to the campus. Um, so the I I don't understand this notion that we can't look at those self-supporting enterprises and go why did they do this uh, why did so for example a big student complaint is why did the student center put in the global viewpoint lounge which must have cost well in excess of over ten twenty thousand dollars maybe with the flat screen TVs they put in there because um, maybe some of that money take that twenty thousand out students feel that. Um, they they weren't getting as much benefit they aren't getting as much benefit out of it and that 20,000 could have been at the end of the year kicked back to UCI to support its academic mission and uh so the the why is it that we can't look at some of these enterprises and go you know maybe they shouldn't really have been doing this because that money could still have still could have gone back to support other other enterprises that get only core funds
3: fair question um couple quick answers I would have. Number one, one of the things that you've seen in our access and enrollment is uh, a significant increase, although still relatively small percentage of the population, in our international students. Mm-hmm. So one of the new flavors you've seen within the context of the student center mm-hmm. is it says, welcome to UCI's global village. Yes. Signs that I've asked to put up and kind of help them construct and, and, and manage. Because what we want to do is create a welcoming feel for not only all international students who are here, but for all students who come from diverse cultures from wherever you are in the globe. We could be from, you know, California to San Francisco to Arizona to Hawaii to China to Japan to Korea to Thailand to, you know, Israel. Mm -hmm. But we want to also make sure that all of our students who are here can see themselves reflected within the fabric of the institution. So the Global Viewpoint Lounge, which does, by the way, get auxiliary funds, not student service fees, Mm -hmm. was designed to try to enhance that to create a more uh, significant and inviting experience so that even as we have students who are already here taking advantage of the resources or students who might want to come that we might want to attract to the campus, they can look and see that Irvine is very serious about those particular entities. The other thing that is, is true is that In business, one of the simple principles we have to understand is that it takes money to make money. Mm -hmm. So as you think about, you know, enhancing the ambiance of the student center, as you think about creating a conference center, you know, if we have to rent the conference center out that then raises dollars from some of the corporate entities around who bring their business here instead of Hotel X, Y, or Z Mm -hmm. in the county. Mm -hmm. We have to be able to upgrade facilities and do the kind of things that will attract that. There's a lot of international business here. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of folks that we have. We entertain delegations from places all around the world. So having a Global Viewpoint Lounge is exactly the same study center space that somebody could have used last year. They can still use it this year. It still is actively used. It also, though, provides information on those flash screens. Those aren't TVs that have ESPN Sports Center on them every day. Mm-hmm. There are news channels that go to every corner of the globe that allows folk to be able to get news and information from those particular places mm-hmm. so that it, be, it provides teachable moments, not just for the international students to see themselves mm-hmm. you know, reflected in kind of the home news, mm-hmm. but rather for those domestic students whose only exposure... That they get to folk may be limited, and so they 're able to be able to engage that as well, so I think the small investment that we made I think was was well worthwhile
2: mm-hmm. um, we 're pretty well out of time in fact we 're ten minutes over. Um, just one last thing I, I have uh, for the <laughs> one of the few times I have uh, a bit of um, breaking news, which is that um, uh, the UC Office of the President issued a um, system-wide uh, non-smoking policy that will be implemented in 2014, and that uh, came to light today. And um, seeing how I have a UCI administrator, maybe I was I, I was hoping I can get a few uh, initial reactions from you on that, that, that in 20, 2014 uh, no one will be able to smoke on a uh, UC campus, including UC Irvine. Uh,
3: my initial reaction is... Uh I support, I think, the smoking ban. Mm-hmm. Um, not just because I think I'm a non-smoker myself, but uh, because I think that our charge is to create the healthiest environment we can. Mm-hmm. If you look at the data on those who smoke, as well as the data on those exposed to secondhand smoke, it is not even close to being a horse race in terms of the beneficial effects of having a non-smoking environment versus a smoking one. Second thing is that if we are a campus that is about promoting, you know, uh, healthy choices and health promotion and disease prevention, then smoking is one of those things I think that we can do to be able to, mm-hmm. you know, help reaffirm that com- particular commitment. There are a lot of dynamics that are associated with that. So what you've seen is a commitment on UC to say we'd like to move in that area, mm-hmm. in that direction. What you've seen is then proposed that this will, there will be a study process taking place and task forces, et cetera, pointed on every campus so that in the next 18 to 24 months, we'll be exploring Mm -hmm. how to actually implement this Mm -hmm. so that when you get to 2014, Mm -hmm. that there will be opportunities for people to be able to come and enjoy the rigors of the campus and the magnificent resources in this institution, but do so in a way that is Mm smoke-free, which is consistent with almost every public accommodation in the the nation right now. Mm -hmm. You can't smoke in airports. You can't smoke in government buildings. You can't smoke in lots of different places and lots of restaurants. You go out find any restaurants. You go out to eat. You can't either. I mean, the the, the ban is not uh, in isolation of a general mood in the public to be able to do that. So it's one that I happen to support, and I'll be looking forward to working with my colleagues on how we operationalize that uh, commitment to do that.
2: it right. Well, we're out of time. Thank you so much, Dr. Parham, for being here. i truly enjoyed having you on the show, and, and uh, you've made for a wonderful guest.
3: I appreciate uh, the invitation to come. I'm honored to uh, be here and uh, to talk to both you and uh our students in the campus community, and I look forward to another invitation to come back.
2: Excellent. Thank you so much. God bless. So uh, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to have the Reckoners playing a couple of songs for us and uh, maybe one from their demo. And uh, after that, I'm going to announce who won the two Disneyland tickets at the end. So stay tuned for that, just a short break. And, uh, again, when we come back, uh, we'll have uh, the Reckoners, a UCI band, playing a couple of songs for us. Thanks for tuning in. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. The Claire Trevor School of the Arts has many dance, drama, music, and studio arts performances throughout the school year on the campus of UC Irvine. Events range from student ensembles to masterclasses given by professionals
5: throughout the year that are open to the public. For more information on events and ticket prices, visit www.arts.uci.edu.
2: The UC Irvine Film and Video Center is Orange County's premier art house cinema,
0: screening new, independent, experimental, and groundbreaking films and videos. With the
2: capacity for 35mm, 16mm, and video projection, along with state-of-the-art surround sound, the Film and Video Center provides Orange County and surrounding
0: communities with a -a one-of-a-kind movie-going experience, showcasing quality original works unavailable elsewhere. That's the UCI Film and Video Center in the Lucille Kuhn
2: Auditorium, located in room 100 of the Humanities Instructional Building on the UC Irvine campus. For more information, log on to uci.edu and click on
0: Film and Video Center.
1: Hello, Warwick County to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and streaming online at KUCI.org. Broadcasting underground music and talk for the University of California, Irvine campus since 1969. Why don't you like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter? The URLs are facebook.com slash KUCIFM. And Twitter.com slash KUCIFM. All right, baby. My darling, I can't get enough of your love, baby. I don't know, I don't know why I can't get enough of your love,
0: baby.
2: And uh, we're back. Uh, we're on with uh, the Reckoners. They're going to be playing one song live for us, and then uh, we'll have a few words with them. And uh, after that, we'll play a song from their, their demo. They're playing acoustic, they've informed me, so that, I guess, means something. Uh, and, uh, yeah, here you go. The, ladies and gentlemen, it's the Reckoners. So, you guys ready to go?
4: Yeah, we're ready to go. Hey, everybody, we're the Reckoners here. Check out this song.
5: That's how we come grooving up slowly. He got juju eyeballs, he went holy rollers, he got hair down to his knees. Got to be a joker, he do just what he feel it. His-
2: god you guys are awesome (laughs) all right let me introduce the people that are here and uh felipe you've been you've been on the show once before uh so that's felipe hernandez on the guitar and then uh here on the bass is paul jones and uh on the drums is uh spencer lear and then there's two other people in your band who weren't able to be here today and uh normally you guys have uh, kelly rogers she's the vocals and uh Philip Harris is normally on the keyboard. That's right. So right. afterwards, we're going to play a song that has uh, that has all of you guys on, on there. So I'll play a song from from your demo CD. Yeah, the actual vocalist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but Felipe, you're oh, you're man. great. Thanks,
4: thanks. Ha, ha. It's my first day.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so uh, so tell me, how did you guys get started at UCI? We have, we have a couple minutes to talk here. So uh,
4: yeah. Well, uh, we've actually all known each other since freshman year uh we we've been we we live in, in the dorms here in mesa court actually uh-huh. and we've always been jamming together just playing in different bands and we're all music majors and uh it's not until this this late summer that we decided that we would we should actually do something and mm-hmm. form form a serious band and uh we 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 pulled something together we just started playing covers from my from our favorite artists and uh started jamming and everything started sounding really good so uh that's how that's how we started and uh and uh yeah, yeah. so the
2: actual idea for the band came at this uh we had a party with uh, all the music grad students, undergrad students, and even the faculty. And it turned out uh, Phil and the three of us all showed up in flannels. Uh huh. Everyone said, "Hey, you guys should start a band. Have some gimmick with these flannels." I mean, that didn't stay, but we did start the band, and so
4: yeah, we we're mm-hmm. having a
2: great time. So we no longer go by the flannels. We're actually, <laughs> <the fans. laughs> yeah. So, uh, what are your future plans? I think uh, right now you guys are playing mostly covers. Uh, are you going to be composing anytime soon?
4: Oh yeah, definitely. Um, we're right now we're playing covers. Everything we're playing: jazz, blues, funk, reggae, hip hop, and we're playing bands um, from classic to new. And we're actually playing at the pub tonight, so we mm-hmm. want to give a quick announcement: we're playing at the pub, UC, uh, UCI Ant Hill Pub and Grill, 8 p.m. tonight. And we're even playing all all around Orange County. So we want people to check out our Facebook. Uh, the all rec- the all of our events are posted on the Facebook page. Exactly, and you'll probably see us walking around on campus, flyering and stuff. And um, yeah, so our future plans are to are to compose music and uh, and whatever genre we decide we want to play, whatever mm-hmm. just comes out naturally, and record a record a CD, record a demo, and just keep playing mm-hmm. and just keep giving music to the community.
2: Uh, what are you guys' majors, actually? Uh, Paul, uh, are you a music? I- all of us are music majors, uh-huh. but Felipe here, uh, he's a poli-sci major. Yeah, political
4: science and minor philosophy.
2: Oh, yeah. Hey, uh, I'm <laughs> a major in out. philosophy, too. <laughs> uh, are, is uh, Felipe, are you the only one that's, uh, that's got something other than a music major? Well, Paul actually is uh, pre-med, right? He's doing, uh... Yeah, I kind of, <laughs> I, I decided to drop that. I'm sticking with a little bit of jamming. So. <laughs> awesome. All right, we're gonna play. Uh, we're gonna go to a song uh, from your demo CD, and there uh, we can hear Kelly Rogers' uh, the vocals. And yeah. uh, we're gonna finish off afterwards uh, with another live performance. So stay tuned for that. But right now is uh, "I Wish" by the Reckoners from their demo CD. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was the Reckoners doing uh, "I Wish" from their demo CD, and uh, they're going to be live at the Student Center Pub later today from eight to eleven. They're going to be giving out free demos, so you should definitely come check that out, check them out. So uh, before closing, uh, they're going to go out with one last song. They're do, they're going to do "Evil Ways," and uh, yeah, there you go, "Evil Ways." Uh, the Reckoners. You guys are on.